Lord, we want more of you. And Lord, as we read your word together today, we want you to reveal more of yourself to us. And we want it because we know that's what you want for us. That you want to reveal yourself. That you want to touch each one of us and speak to each one of us through your Holy Spirit. So Lord, as we open the pages of your word, as we read it together, as you cause our minds and our hearts and our souls to reflect on your words, speak to us today. Challenge us with your word. Encourage us with your word. Take deep root with your word in our hearts and in our lives. Through your Holy Spirit. For we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I want to ask you a question this morning. If you had to put into one sentence or into one thought what the primary role of the church is, so boil down everything you know about the church, what, what do you think is the, the main focus? What is the primary thing that the church is for? Why are we here? What's it for? Why don't you turn to somebody near to you and, and just give your thoughts. If you're, if you're sitting on your own, go find someone and uh, go share with them one thing. This is what I think the primary reason of the church is. This is why we're here. If I had to put it in one sentence, what would it be? Right, let's get some of your answers. Well, to support the community, that's one. Community inside and outside the church. Awesome answer. What else? To worship God? Yeah, that's a good answer. To be equipped? To save souls? To bring peace and tranquility? To bring God's kingdom on earth? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Good answers. What about the back? There was troublemakers in the back row there. You already know the answer. Yeah, yeah, just typical. That's because we had a discussion earlier in the week. Any other answers back here? Spread the word. All these are great answers, aren't they? We're going to look at a, a different answer in Ephesians. We've been working together, looking through the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter. And Paul gives a unique answer to that question. To be honest, until I read this passage at the beginning of this week, I never recognized that this was even an answer to the question. You know, it's amazing how you can read the Word of God. I've read it through so many different, you know, so many times. I can't even tell you how many times I've read the book of Ephesians. Yet, when I read it this week, it was like this one verse just kind of leapt out of me and it kind of went like, and I thought, Whoa, what does that mean? And I stopped and I thought, and I suddenly realized that actually, as good as your answers are and correct as your answers are, Paul actually gives us, a, in a sense, a bigger answer to what the church is all about. Now, before we read it, let's go back a little bit into Ephesians chapter 2. Because 
We need to recognize the journey that Paul's taking us on. Do you remember in Ephesians 2, he, he kind of describes, first of all, what grace is all about. And we looked at that a few weeks ago. He says in uh, Ephesians 2, uh, verse 8, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not for yourself, from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. He says that grace, grace is what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us, means that we have access to God. That we, in the picture in the Garden of Eden right at the beginning, when we sin, when we mess up, we are thrown out of the garden. God says, you can't be with me because you're no longer holy as I am holy. You have sin, I am pure. It's like if you get a, a, a white sheet of paper, you can't put a black dot on it. Or a black piece of paper, you can't put a white dot on it, even better, that keeps it completely pure. Whatever you do, it makes it different. And God says, I can't handle sin. Sin, you need to separate yourselves. You have chosen to go your own way, do your own thing. And there are consequences to that. But grace says there is a way back that I'm going to forgive you and I'm going to offer you this free gift of forgiveness. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't, you know, it's just free. It's there. It's for you to take and to apply into your lives. You can reject it, or you can accept it. There's no middle ground in the two. You either take it on board, and you accept what Jesus Christ has done, or you just say, no thanks, I'd rather just keep on going my own way. Thank you very much. And he says, if you accept it, then, he says, you become Christ's workmanship. Verse 10, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And we looked at that. Then he says, one of the things that I'm, he's doing is what we looked at last week, which is he's saying, I'm building you together. All those who accept Jesus Christ, you are being built into a holy temple. Verse 21. And we looked last week, if you were here, at the temple in Jerusalem. And the temple in Jerusalem had so many different areas to it. There was the area outside of the temple, outside of the walls around the temple precinct, which You weren't even allowed to go any closer if you were unclean, if you were a slave, and so on. Then there was a courtyard around the outside of the Gentiles. So all those non-Jews could go there, so you could come up to the wall, if you like, and that's as far as you could go. So it'd be like coming to church here, and you'd be out in the street. You could kind of look in occasionally through the doorway, but you can't come in, because this is for the the Jews only. You, You can't come any closer. And then the foyer bit at the top there, that was what they called the court of the women. So the women could come into the foyer, and then they could come no further. That was it. They could look through the doors there. Maybe they could even come into the link area, but that's all. They couldn't come in here. That that was forbidden for them. They could just look in. And there was another big wall and big gate there that they could look through when it was open, but no further. And that's where Jesus would have been with Mary and so on, and the families were there when Uh, Do you remember when Simeon and Anna uh, were there and Jesus as a baby was was blessed by them? They would have been in the court of the women, as it was called. And that's where most of the teaching went on when the disciples went in. So it's kind of like a family area, if you like. Everybody could go there. But then through further is when you took your offering and then you went through another gate into where the court of the priests were and that's where the men could go and make their offering and their sacrifices. 
And then you had the actual temple, the, the inner temple structure, which was the big golden structure in, in, in the temple. And only then the priests could go inside of that. And inside of that then was the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest could go there once a year on the Day of Atonement. All these barriers, one after the other, were there inside the temple. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he said he broke down, and we looked at that. It says here, he broke down the hostility, the walls of hostility. Every single barrier was smashed down so that we all became one. And then God is building us into a new temple, a holy temple, a living temple. 1 Peter, it talks about us being living stones, being built. And we looked at what that really meant for us last week. If you weren't here, then uh, you can listen in on the podcast uh, of last week's sermon. And so from there, he then describes what this living temple is for. Let's read uh, Ephesians chapter 3. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it is now has been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith, in him. We may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, do not be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Thanks be to God for his reading. The verse that really struck me as I read that this week was it verse 10. It says, his intent was that now through the church, that bit I got, The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Think about that for a moment. It's like one of those imponderable questions. What does it mean? His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, what's that? should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Well, who are the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms? What is the manifold wisdom of God? How do we make it known? Somebody wrote this as they were reflecting on this word, on this uh, verse. They said, the church is the most important institution in the world. The assembly of the redeemed the company of the saints, the children of God, are more significant in world history 
than any other group, organization, or nation? It's one of those massive questions. What is Paul trying to say right here? Well, let's go from the bottom to the top. Who first are those rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms? What do you think? What is he talking about? That the church has to make known the manifold wisdom of God to. Who is it? Well, if you turn over to Ephesians 6, that famous passage about the armor of God, he says, verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against who? The rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil, And where are they? In the heavenly realms. So Paul here is thinking about the spiritual realm that that is somewhere around us, over us, above us, wherever it is. And we know that because we've already read in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, where? In the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He says it again in verse uh, 20. He said, Which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And where did he seat him? He seated him at the right hand. Where? In the heavenly realms. So Paul is saying here, God is saying to us through this passage, that the church's function is to make known the manifold wisdom of God to where? The spiritual realm that is around us. Our role is not, therefore, just to tell our neighbors. It's not just to tell the people living outside this church. We are a witness to the spiritual realm that is all around us, to the principalities and powers of this dark age. That's who we witness to. That's what the church is for, it says. So we are a witness, not only on the earth, but in heaven, in hell, everywhere in between as well. Isn't that incredible? I find it hard enough being a witness to my neighbor, don't you? And yet here we are, God is calling us to be a witness to the spiritual realm as well. You know, some people don't believe in that kind of realm, do they? They're, well, I don't really believe in evil and and so on. But I think when you look at the world around us, you can see, can't you, the good and the evil. Seems to me like every advance that we make, there is a positive and a negative outcome to it. I see the blessing, but also the cursing. We have more medicine available today than ever before. But also we seem to have a bigger drug problem than ever before. You know, you you, you get morphine and all these pain-relieving drugs that can help us when we become sick. And what happens? They get out on the streets and they start selling them and people get into addiction. We get new ways of finding energy. And what happens? 
We find new ways of making weapons with the new ways of making energy. All of a sudden, uranium was found, and this is great because this is going to solve the the world energy crisis. Oh, yeah, but we can also make a fantastic uranium bomb out of it, and we can blow people up. You know, we find lasers. Oh, yeah, we can make Star Wars projects. We can do this. We can do that. It seems like everywhere you look, there is a positive. Let's, let's have a new way of doing power. Let's have democracy, true democracy. Not that there is any true democracy in our world. But what do we do with it? Well, when we don't like a certain people because of what they wear on the beach, we ban them. And we say, You're, you've got too many clothes on on the beach. You know? It's like, what? Have you ever been to England? We're all dressed like that on the beach in England. It's freezing out there. You know? You have to undress. I loved it. You know what the, uh, the mosques in France did? They, they put online a picture of uh, French nuns on the beach in full habit. You know? And it's like, here they were. They're fine because they're nuns. But if you're Muslim and you wear, you know, your burqa and everything, no, 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 you can't do that. And so we, we, we get these systems and then there's an abuse with the system. And we try and find ways of shortcutting and doing everything else around it. And whatever we look at, education, we see a positive and a negative. And everywhere we look, we see both blessing, but also somehow it gets twisted by some into causing uh, evil and, and, and just death in our world. And there's this cosmic battle that's going on around us. And we, the church, it says, people who follow Jesus Christ, we are to be witnesses to that spiritual battle that is going on around us. Isn't that incredible? Blows my mind when I think about it. But then he says, well, what is this manifold wisdom of God? What are we to be doing then as the church? We are to show the manifold wisdom of God. What's that all about? Well, if you go back into verse 6, it's what we've been talking about last week. He says, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. You see, God had this amazing plan. When he came, he said, first of all, you know what? I'm going to build myself a nation. And he built the people of Israel, didn't he? He chose Abraham, and he said, you're going to become Abraham, and you're going to be the nation. And through you, I'm going to bless you, and through that blessing of you and your people, I'm going to bless the nations. But that wasn't the end of the plan. And it wasn't even as if Israel kind of messed up, so God came up with plan B. God only had plan A, because he knew what it is going to work the first time. So part of the plan, the unfolding of that plan with the people of Israel. And then he said, you know what, that's just the first step in my plan. The second step is this, that I'm going to send Jesus Christ, my son, who's going to die on the cross, bring grace, bring, bring healing and wholeness and repair all those relationships together and bring them all back. All the consequences of the fall that we see pictured in Genesis is going to be repaired. And he's going to bring that back. And through that, he's going to unite and break down all those walls of hostility. 
So Paul says these revolutionary words. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, young and old. doesn't matter if you're in the last bits of your 20s or if you're in the last bits of your 120s. We're all one in Christ Jesus. doesn't matter which nationality you come from, the color of your skin, your sexuality, any of that doesn't make any difference. We're all one in Jesus Christ if we have been called by God. He says that's, that is the, the mystery which the world can't seem to comprehend. Because as a world, we love to separate and segregate people. We do it all the time. We put barriers up here, there, and everywhere. But he said, I'm going to break them all down and you will be one. One of the beautiful things about living in Harrow is how many nationalities are we just the people here in this church? We have like 40 or, I don't know, I haven't even counted lately. But nationalities from all over the world that God has placed his hand on each one and brought them together and said, this is going to be my church. We're all equal. We're all one in Christ Jesus. He said, that's the mystery. That's the word that you need to, to show to others. He says, look this. He says, you're all heirs together. Now, heirs is what? Well, that's looking at the future, isn't it? Myself, my brother, we're heirs of our parents. When they die, whatever they've got left will, I guess, come to us unless they write us out, I guess. But, you know, hopefully they're listening into this sometime and they won't do that, you know. But we're heirs because we're part of the family. That's a future thing. That's, that's something to look forward to in the future in that sense. But he says you're also members so we're not only a future, but it's also a present thing. When you're a member of something, that means you've got access in and out, doesn't it? How many of you are members of gyms that you never turn up to? Come on, be honest, you're in church. All of us do that. We start off, we go there for the first few weeks, and then it's like, oh, it's too hot. It's too cold. It's wet. It's, you know, oh, let, let me just do it on the Wii when I'm sitting in my, you know, that'll be my exercise for the day. But we're members, that means you have rights, you have access. And more than that, he says, we're not just members, but we're sharers together. Sharers mean that you experience it together, doesn't it? When you go, you know, you go and you, you buy it, you go with your wife. She better not listen to this. You go to your wife, and she, do you want a dessert? No. Which really means yes. Doesn't it? Because when that dessert comes, when that strawberry-eaten mess arrives in front of me, oh, you're just having a coffee? I'll have dessert then. You can see the eyes. Start to light up. And even before that, she now says, just bring me an extra spoon. And you're like, just order it yourself. if you Because you're sharers together. You know what? I'll have a little bit, you know. That's what it means to share. You both experience the same thing. So we're not just heirs, we're not just members, but we're also sharers together. We all experience the promises, it says, of Christ Jesus. But God's plan is not just that, to draw us together as one new living temple by his death and resurrection. But it goes a step further. Our job is to preach, to show the wisdom of God the blessing, the unity, the strength, the power of God, the presence of God in our lives and in the life of his church. To everyone on earth 
and everyone in heaven. Isn't that incredible? So heaven, or the realm above, the realm below, however you want to describe it, the angels, the demons, all the cosmic forces are looking at us. And we are God's witness to them. That's what the Bible is saying. You know, God said that right at the very, very beginning. Do you know what the oldest book in the Old Testament is? What's the oldest book of the Bible? Job. I know Genesis starts it, but Job is probably the first book that was ever written. So it's got the earliest kind of understanding of God, if you like, in the continuing revelation. Now, what's Job about? Well, Job is about Satan coming to God saying, hey, see that righteous guy down there? You see Brian here. He's he's a God-fearing man. I bet bet he's only doing that because you're blessing him. And God said, no, he isn't. He's righteous because he loves me. And Satan goes, no, he doesn't. He doesn't really. He's just doing it because you're being really nice to him and good to him. I bet if I could take everything away from him, he would curse you. And God said, go ahead, but you can't touch him. You can't, you can't physically touch him, like in the sense you can't take his life away. But anything else is free game. I bet you he won't. And what's the story of Job about? Well, his struggle through that. Satan does that, takes everything away. And what happens? Well, then he has some wonderful friends. Ronnie turns up and he says, Brian, you must have done some really bad stuff in your life for this to happen to you. He said, Brian, like, this just does not happen to normal people. You've done some serious stuff. What have you been doing? Brian's going, I haven't done anything. Don't look at me. One day I was traveling along. I was going out into Tesco's as normal, and then all of this disaster happened. God, what are you doing to me? And, And Ronnie's going, you're a bad boy. You're a seriously bad boy. You know? Then Sanjay says to him, if I were you, I'd just curse God and die. I mean, it can't get worse than that, can it? No, really, honestly, because you are seriously bad. Just curse God and die. And Brian's going, I've done nothing wrong. I don't even know what it is. God, you better come and tell me what it is that I've done wrong. And then what happens? Well, God shows up and says, who are you, Brian, to ask me? Who are you to demand that I turn up and tell you what's going on? And he says, were you there when the world was created? And Brian goes, well, I kind of know. I mean, I know I'm kind of getting on in years, but no, I wasn't at the beginning. Well, do you know how it all works? No. And God gives this amazing list, doesn't he? Of how. Then who are you to tell me or say that I have to answer you? And what happens at the end? Brian, Job, he doesn't, he doesn't curse God. He's faithful to God, even in the struggles, even in the suffering. And God says, that's enough. Get out of here, Satan. Now I'm going to bless him. Right at the earliest, it's about a cosmic battle that's going on. It's about evil, you know, taking on God. And evil saying, I'm going I'm to affect your children. I'm going to put them through such hardship that they're going to just turn their back on you. And God's saying, my children will never turn their back on me. Because I will never leave them. I'll never forsake them. They will be faithful to me. And that, right throughout the scriptures, is really what's going on. That the church of Jesus Christ, the holy temple of God, 
is to be a witness, not just to the people around us, but to that cosmic battle that's happening. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how or quite how that affects us. It does affect us. And you see glimmers of it in Daniel. You see it. You remember Jesus, when he sent out the 72, they came back. And what did Jesus say? He said, I saw Satan fall from heaven. He said, when you went out and you preached the kingdom, when you went out and healed the sick, I saw the effects in the spiritual realm of what was happening in the physical realm. It's all connected together. That's why prayer is so important. And that's why he goes on to next week. We're going to talk about that in the next bit. But he's talking about this. And, and it's, it's crucial that we get this in our hearts and in our lives. We need to realize that what we do makes a difference. So how? How do we live? How do we make this known, this mystery of God? Well, we do it by simply living it. It's what we do all the time, isn't it? My brother's staying with me for the weekend. My brother has been blessed with two daughters. But having two daughters also means there's part of his life that is missing. I was talking to him the other day about uh, Playstations. You see, daughters don't do Playstations. Well, some do. Some, I'll correct that. Some do Playstations. But I was talking to him about PlayStation games. And he was like, what? What? So I said, you wait till you come. I'll teach you all about PlayStation games. <laughs> it's kind of what brothers do. I felt obligated, you know, really. Because I got two boys. I grew up with PlayStation. I had a PlayStation, a PlayStation 2, a PlayStation 3, a PlayStation 4. I've, I've got games like this that don't work anymore, you know. So last night we sat down. Now, we didn't read the manual. I didn't, we didn't turn it on and go, here you go, here's 150 pages, half of which are in foreign languages, of course, but, you know, now read this, and then when you, no, I said, here, let me show you how you do it. And I just went on there, and I started playing the game, and I said, here, you have a go. And he started playing the game, and we just did it, and, and we worked it out, and what am I doing wrong? And I showed him, and, and so that's what you do. You learn by doing it. You don't sit there and you work it out. You don't sit there and read the handbook and go, well, that's far enough. Thank you very much. You have to do it. It's like riding a bike, isn't it? You didn't ride a bike by reading the manual. You ride a bike by getting on it and falling off and getting back and getting on it. Somebody tells you, first of all, what you have to do, the rudimentary dynamics of riding a bike. You know, It's like a friend of mine when I was younger, first motorbike I had. You know he said, can I have a go? So we're in a car park. So I said, sure. I had two friends that did this. Actually, he's coming back to me now. First one, he got on it. I didn't explain to him how the brakes worked or anything else. He revved the thing up, slipped the clutch, went straight over the car park, straight down the bank and into a river. <laughs> I said, what are you doing? He said, well, you didn't tell me about brakes or anything, did you? I went, oh, no. Like, let's go back to lesson two here. The second friend I had, he got the hang of it. He went around a couple of times and then he went off out down the streets without a helmet. There was a friendly policeman that came to my door that, later that night and said, 
does your son own a motorbike? <laughs> oh my goodness. You get on and you try it. You do it. And that's how we are to make known the mystery. We live it in our lives. You see, the heavenly realms are watching you and watching me. Jesus said, take up your cross every day and follow me. He says, die to your agenda, live to his agenda, and then when the spiritual realms are watching you, what will they see? They will see a beautiful child of God that is living for Jesus Christ. It's what we were singing about earlier. You see, it matters what we do. It matters what we think. It matters what we feel. It matters how we behave. It matters the words that we say. Why? Because the people, the things that are looking at us are not just around us, but the spiritual realm is looking at you and looking at me. The church of God is the witness to the spiritual realm. That's scary, isn't it? It scares me. It's hard enough to witness outside to my neighbors, isn't it? But to think that the spiritual realm is looking down on us right now, is looking into your life and saying, you say you're a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm looking into your heart right now. What do I see? I'm looking into your heart when you go to Nando's tomorrow morning. I'm looking into your heart when you're at work and you're dealing with that difficult person. I'm looking into your heart when you're at home and your child is not behaving as they should do. I'm looking into your heart when, you know, when, when you're at work or, or when you're at home or when you're out in leisure activities. I'm looking to you into your heart when you're in that quiet time with Jesus Christ. I'm looking into your heart at every moment to see, to see whether you are really a great witness for God or not. And you know one of the most beautiful things is? Because when the heavenly realms look into my heart, the honest truth is, I mess up. But you know the great truth? The great truth is that when I mess up, Christ comes and picks me up and sets me back on my feet and says, Keep going. That's what grace is. You see, God says, I don't expect you to be perfect. And that witness of when I fall and when Christ picks me back up and forgives me and I say, Lord, I'm sorry I messed up again. What kind of a witness is that into the heavenly realms? That's a witness to the power of God. That's a witness to the grace of God. That's a witness to what Christ has won for us on the cross. I don't try and stumble and fall, so that, but that's the result. So everything I do is a witness to Jesus Christ. See what I'm saying? So when I succeed, it's not because of me, but it's because of the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through me. That's a witness to Jesus Christ. When I fall... I say, Lord, I'm sorry, pick me up, and he forgives me, and he picks me up, and he plants. That's a witness to Jesus Christ about what he's done on the cross, the power of the resurrection, his grace. So whether I'm falling or whether I'm succeeding, everything can be a witness to Jesus Christ. Look at what Paul says at the beginning and the end. 
He starts off by saying, for this reason, Paul, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Paul knew, you see, that whether he was a free guy or a prisoner, and here he is in Rome in prison under house arrest. Everywhere he went, he was a witness to Jesus Christ. So he said, actually, you know what? In some ways, whether I'm free outside, whether I'm a prisoner, it makes no difference because wherever I am, I'm still witnessing to the heavenly realms. They're still revealing what's inside of me. I can just as much be a witness to God and the power of the Holy Spirit and to Jesus Christ in a prison as I can when I'm out planting churches. Because if that's where God has placed me, if that's where I, I am right now, then that's how God's going to use me. doesn't matter that thousands of people can't see me because I'm locked away, because I'm witnessing to the heavenly realms. And he says right at the end, look at this in verse 13, I ask you therefore, do not be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Now how can suffering be a glory? Well, it's a glory because he's suffering, but he's suffering in the power of God. And when you are suffering, when you are going through a hard time, depending on how you react in that hard time can either be for the glory of God by saying, you know what, your, your strength is made complete in my weakness. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rely on your strength to help me through this difficult time, through this time of pain and suffering. And therefore, because I am not going to deny you, I'm not going to neglect you, I'm going to call out to you and say, God, give me the strength day by day that I need. Then you become a witness in the heavenly realms. And you become a witness to all the people around you. You see, God doesn't necessarily want to end all suffering. One day he will, and one day that's coming. In, in Revelation it says that. And yes, we pray because we don't like suffering, and we believe that, that Christ wants to heal people and, and alleviate suffering in our world. That's part of the kingdom coming. But while suffering is with us, sometimes God uses that suffering to be a witness to the people around them. And to the heavenly realms. That's what the whole book of Job is about, isn't it? That God said, he is going to be my witness for me through 40 chapters, 30 chapters of suffering. And then I will take it away. That is what the Bible speaks about so often. You look at so many different people in the Bible. They go through struggles. They go through hardships. They're in prison. Even Paul says, take this away from me, this thorn in the flesh, for your grace is sufficient. Because in those sufferings, there will be glory, because I will rely on your help and your strength. We take up our cross, we follow him with our whole hearts, we do what God wants us to do. That is how we make known the mystery of the gospel, not just to the people around us, but to the heavenly realms as well. And when we mess up, Christ comes and he lifts us up and he forgives us and he restores us. And he says, David, keep on going, keep on going. I heard about an absent-minded professor you know the sort. 
They say he became so absorbed in his work that he forgot the simplest of details. Everything was about his work and his mind was always there. One morning his wife said to him, Now Henry, remember we're moving house today. So I'm going to put a note in your top pocket of the new address. Don't come back here tonight. You need to come back to the new address. By the time you get out of work, we'll have moved. Don't forget now. Henry went off to the university, got his head stuck in his books and in his research. Came back, as usual, to his normal house. He opened the door, he went in. The house was empty. So he came back outside and he scratched his head and he goes, what's happened? And he sat down on the curb of his house. And a little boy came up. And he said, you, you're looking a bit distraught. And the guy goes, yeah. Little boy, do you know where the people are who used to live in this house? And the boy said, sure, Dad. Mom told me, not to, or told me to come here because she knew you would forget. You know, sometimes in life, I think most of the time in life, we get so absorbed by the little things in our world, which are big things to us. Or the little things in the church, which are maybe bigger things to us. But we, what we do is we forget the context in which Christ has asked us to live. He has called you and called me to be a witness in the heavenly realms. It doesn't get much bigger than that, does it? That's what this church is to be. That's what all the churches, all God's people are to be. A witness in the heavenly realms. Somebody wrote like this. They said this. The church is the cosmic showcase of God's mercy. And if we fail to live as joyful beneficiaries of his mercy... And we fail to maintain the unity of the Spirit. We bring cosmic reproach on the wisdom of God. They carried on. They said, all the principalities and powers in the heavenly places are going to be watching you this week. To see if we, the church, will live as if God is wise or as if God is foolish. It's quite a responsibility that God has given you and me. But that is what the word of God says our responsibility is. And he has given us through his spirit every tool that we need. Everything we need. He has broken down all the barriers. He has shared his power and his authority in our lives. So that we together may live as if God is wise and together bring him the glory for what he has done through his people. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you because this just opens up just so much bigger what the church is all about 
Your church is not just about us. It's not just about those outside of us. It's not just about serving our community, but it's also about being a witness. About showing the principalities, the cosmic forces around us, however we want to say it. About showing them your wisdom. Entrusting us with your grace. Entrusting us with your spirit. And making us your living temple. Lord, we ask that you would give us this week the power that we need, the the authority, the comfort, the strength that we need, your spirit that we need, so that whether at work or at home or, or wherever we're doing this week, in every way we may demonstrate the wisdom of God, the trust that God has placed on each one of us. And Lord, when we fail, forgive us and lift us up. And through your grace, give yourself the glory. Give yourself the honor that is due you. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for how you think of us, how you trust us. Bless us this week, we pray, in all that we do, in all that we are, for we live and we work for you. In the name of Christ, amen.